Welcome to another episode of the Duval Mission Podcast. We have a special guest today. He resides right here in the Rock Lacrosse Center, Coach Nick Kolpitz. Coach Kolpitz oversees our man-up unit as well as the face-off unit. He's been with us for two years now after four years at Wingate University. Coach Kolpitz, we're going to talk a lot about what you do for our program, uh, specifically, obviously, what, what your experience has been in Jacksonville. But I want to start in the beginning. How'd you end up here, man? You're from Minnesota, you know, a unique background. I'm excited to learn how you got into lacrosse and how it led you to this path of coaching. Yeah, it's been a very non-traditional path, I think, uh, over the, the last, I'd say, six years especially. Um, started out, again, grew up in Minnesota, uh, Brooklyn Park, went to Tino Grace High School just right outside of Minneapolis. Um, decided, you know, when I was going through my recruiting process, naturally it was like, do I want to play hockey or lacrosse in college? And it was like, kind of made the decision that lacrosse, I think, was kind of my sport. So I decided to attend uh, the University of St. Thomas, which is just a local uh, Division Three institution. Um, but at the time in Minnesota, there was no Division Three athletics like programs. There was no NCAA lacrosse programs. So for St. Thomas, it was a lot of the guys that like had ideas of going off and playing at Division One or Division Three institutions, but just felt like they needed to stay home um, for whatever reason that was. We had a lot of guys who, you know, would go one year at a school and then transfer back in and. You know, at the time, it was right on, like, the precipice that they were, you know, perennially winning national championships. So I think in 08 and 09, they won the national championship. And then in 10, when I got there, we lost my freshman year. But it was just – it was as, about as close to a varsity field as you could get without flying across, you know, out east or whatever it was. So decided to go there for undergrad. I was fortunate enough to win two national championships during my time there. Um, and it was actually during that time that I started coaching. So uh, my first ever youth coach, uh, Eric Bohr, actually took the high school job at the high school I would have gone to if I went to public school. And uh, he literally just asked, like, hey, do you want to coach the JV team in the spring? And because our St. Thomas practices were literally 10 o'clock at night to 12 in the morning, I was like, yeah, I have nothing really from 5 to, you know, 8 o'clock at night. So... I ended up taking the job as the JV coach uh, when I was a freshman in college and through my four years stayed with that same high school program. And that's kind of when I like was like, holy crap, like I can do this for like a living and like make this like something that I get paid to do. Um, I'll never forget, like we made the state tournament and had a game, I think at 11 in the morning, about an hour and away. So I was up at seven, I got on the bus, I, we drove to the, the stadium uh, we had our game, we ended up winning, so it's like, all right, we gotta stay after and scout, and then it's like, all right, now we scout, we gotta go back to the school, write up the scouting report, and I think we got done at like 9 p.m. And it was like, man, that was like the best 13, 14 hour workday that I could possibly dream up. So I was really like, from a, I don't wanna say a young age, but like from then was like, I think I wanna do this. So after I graduated, I took a job at Homegrown Lacrosse, which is a nonprofit organization uh, in the Minneapolis area and uh, was working camps and clinics and still coaching high school. Actually got asked to come back and coach at St. Thomas um, for, for the year after I graduated. Um, we won the national championship again that year, so that was three total in my, in my time there. But uh, yeah, I, I had been talking to guys and like, what, what's the path, what should I do? Like, I wanna get into coaching, I didn't play at an NCAA school, like what can I do? And, you know, Scott Stark and, and Joe Turner, two guys that kind of took the college coaching route from Minnesota, were like, well, you should look at being a GA because you'll learn pretty quickly. Like, 
if it's for you or you know if not you at least get a degree out of it so i applied to a handful of jobs um as a graduate assistant but again my background wasn't like this great playing career and and all this so like really the the offers weren't really there until um i saw coach turner who was my coach at st thomas and ended up going to dowling and long story short dowling closed so he took the job at wingate with coach boyle and you know i saw him at a recruiting tournament when he was going into his first year at wingate and was like listen if you guys need a ga like let me know he goes oh well we already filled it up but you know i'll let you know and i'll never forget i was i woke up at like eight o'clock in the morning to a text from coach turner saying you got time to talk today and in my mind i was like oh my god this might be happening um so long story short get on the phone call with coach turner I was very hesitant at first. I thought I grew up in Minnesota, went to school there, graduated, had a job there. I was going to work there the rest of my life, probably retire there, maybe die there at that point. (laughs) I I really had no idea. Um, And so, like, I was very hesitant. I went down and visited Wingate. Um, I'll never forget when we were driving to the airport after my visit, Coach Boyle was like, sometimes you just got to spread your wings and leave the nest. He said that to me on the ride up. And I think he was just trying to sell me because they needed a GA at the time. <laughs> but uh, I was like, all right, let's do it. Like, I, you know, so I pulled the trigger. I was there for two years as a GA, um, a third year as an assistant, fourth year as an assistant. And then, uh, you know, COVID hit. So I think like everyone at that point, you're kind of thinking like, what's the next step, right? Like I was happy in Charlotte, but like, is there, is there something that I can do to kind of, you know, boost my career a little bit? And uh, it was funny, I just got an email and it's like, you know, Jacksonville's volunteers jobs open, like goalies and face-offs. And I was like, well, I coach goalies and face-offs and, you know, I kind of like the Southeast. So, you know, applied Um, and I'll never forget again, getting on the phone with you and like talking and you're like, so what's your philosophy on goal, like position play and goalies? And I just remember thinking like, I'm this kid from Minnesota. I've never played goalie. And I'm trying to tell the captain of team USA and you know professional cross goalie like how i coach goalies so it was just kind of like a, a cool moment because i remember again being in high school being from minnesota not knowing a lot of people and like watching the syracuse cornell like national championship game and like having it come full circle was, was kind of incredible so took the job here in august of what was that 2020 2020 and uh yeah i've been here ever since so awesome. i know that was long-winded <laughs> but that's kind of what what got me here you've taken away all my interview questions no I'm, I'm excited to jump into the path and I think it's cool for a lot of people to hear the coaching path is unique for everybody and every journey is really different and and yours is obviously no exception to that but I want to go back to the beginning because normally when we talk to guys from non-hotbed areas there's somebody that turned them onto the game you know was it, you mentioned your youth coach who ended up being one of your your future colleagues but was there somebody in the beginning of this experience you're playing hockey you're playing lacrosse that you thought man this is something I want to be a part of maybe a little bit more yeah, it's funny. Uh, one of my best friends, Ben Parpart, uh, we, he played for like two or three years and like was always like was pretty good. And whenever we go over to his house, like I had never played and he would just be like, here's a stick, like let's play catch. And we would be in the backyard for, for hours kind of doing that. And then I eventually was like, mom, dad, you got to sign me up. Like mm-hmm. I got to try this out. Um, and it was really like Eric Bohr, Sean clements uh, Nick Flash, those guys that I coached with at Champlin, like they were all my youth coaches and then became colleagues, kind of like you said, and like those guys ignited my passion for the game. Um, and then another guy that I can't forget is uh, Justin Hoban, who was my high school coach. Um, you know, he was very, um, 
he was one of the best coaches I've ever had. Um, you know, obviously you look back and who was impactful in your life. And I think I've just been incredibly blessed to have some really good coaches and really good people along the path that, uh, that have kind of put me into the spot I am today. So, you know, you've spoken so much about the game and how much it's given to you. You've never mentioned what position you play. You know, what, you know, you started playing in the backyard. Did you gravitate to any specific position? You got into the high school ball. I mean, where, where did you start playing? Yeah. So I started as a midfielder and naturally I was like, I want to play attack. Like I want to score goals. And it was Justin Hoban who was like, you're too athletic for us to like hide you on that side of the field. Like I, you know, I need you to be able to help us clear the ball. So I was like, all right, I'll, I'll play midfield. Um, and so I played midi um, throughout high school. Um, and then once I got to college, my freshman year again, played midi. And then it was like, all right, well, yeah, you're quick, but like, you're not the biggest guy. So like, can you play attack? So I did a little bit of the attack in midfield and I was actually, this was back when they had the rule, they had to keep it in the box. And I always knew, like, we called a timeout with a minute 30 left and you had to keep it in the box. Like, all right, I better get ready because I was just supposed to run around for about 90 seconds. Um, so, you know, I wasn't the greatest player in college, like, I'm not gonna lie. Um, but, you know, I enjoyed every, every moment I had with, with the guys and on the field. And, you know, winning always kind of sweetens the pot a little bit too. So you were the Minnesota Jordan Wolf. You would just, you would just end the clock at the end of a game. Uh, I've never coined myself that, but, uh, you know, it's not a bad comparison. I like um, it. You should get that tattoo, man. The yeah. Minnesota Wolf. All right. I love it. Well, you know, obviously you, you talk about your experience in college, and I think that that is what I'm most excited to talk to you about because I have been so, uh, I guess, in a, a, a box of my experiences at the college level, at the Division One level, uh, at Syracuse, at Providence, at Duke, and now here. Uh, and every place has been really different, but it's only at the Division One level. And there's so much other lacrosse out there, especially at the college level, and so many other experiences kids have. And I've learned a lot about the Division Three and the Division Two level from Coach Grinelli and Coach Brzezinski in the Lynchburg and Salisbury and Florida Southern. But the MCLA thing is, is something that maybe is not talked about as much in the mainstream of our sport that really is where the guys that love the game play. I mean, you mentioned your practice time. You mentioned the travel that you had to do. I mean, tell me some of your experiences at the MCLA, MCLA level that maybe certainly our guys don't know from how spoiled they are and, and really, I guess, how much it takes to be a part of that organization. Yeah, I think first and foremost, it's like the coaching staff. Like, you think about it, like, those guys don't, like, as a coach who coached it after I graduated, like, you don't realize how much those guys do with very little compensation. So for a guy who, you know, Pete Mooseberger, Rob Horn, uh, Colin Achenbach, Brian Gross, Jason King, like guys that coached me, like those guys were doing it for chump change and they were not getting home until one in the morning and then having to go to a full-time job at seven in the morning. Um, so, you know, first of all, couldn't really have the success we did without kind of their dedication. But yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely an investment um, from a player standpoint. Like I think our dues at the time were, we're about 2,800, so you're paying tuition, right? It's not scholarship, and then you're paying to play. You know, you're, you're having to sacrifice the social aspect of, you know, again, practicing 10 o'clock to, to 12 in the morning. And then, you know, again, we tried to make it as legitimate as possible. So, you know, we thought it was awesome when our coaching staff was like, yeah, we talked to the varsity strength and conditioning coach and said, you know, can our guys attend your sessions? And he's like, yeah, sure. Um, so, you know, it was, you know, something that we did as a team, we went to that, uh, I think every Tuesday, Thursday, um, but it was a very similar 
schedule like in our eight hour phase, right? Where you're practicing maybe two times a week, you're lifting, you know, I'm not gonna lie, we didn't do as much running um, because again, the uh, players kind of controlled at the end of the day, it was a club organization, but we like to, we worked hard. Um, and then the, the travel, like that, I think that's the one thing where it's like, you're having this guy who's again, got a family and a full-time job and, and kids, and he's having to like put together our travel itineraries like in his off time. Um, like I'll never forget, we went to the national tournament in Orange County and, uh, you know, it was my last year there. So we lost in the final four and it was like, all right, the bus is going to be at the hotel to bring you guys back home to the airport at six in the morning. And it was like, okay, so 545 rolls around. Everyone's out in front of the hotel, got their bags on. And it's like, all right, bus coming six o'clock, no bus, six or five, no bus coaches get on the phone call like the bus company bus company doesn't answer we're in orange county we got to go to lax it's probably like a 40 40 mile drive 35 mile drive i'm not really sure and it was like coaches were like all right you know panic mode like everyone call an uber and get yourselves there we'll figure out what we're going to do so literally we had like a team of 50 guys at six in the morning trying to like call an uber to like get us to the airport and I know that sounds bad and it's like kind of the ragtag style, but like when you're playing club lacrosse, like you don't expect to kind of be spoiled, right? Like everything is like, yeah, like, okay, we'll just go along with the situation and like hopefully it makes us stronger on the other side. So it certainly taught me like about a, a little bit of the resilience, right? Where you, we didn't have a locker room, you know, we didn't have anyone doing our laundry. You know, it was just genuinely guys that love to play. Um, and so, like, I, I'm very thankful for my time there. Yeah, and, and I would love to hear some of those stories. I mean, what, you, you mentioned the, the LAX one. I mean, what, what is one of those stories back in the MCLA that you can share? You could share now with our guys, and they wouldn't even believe you. Oh, that's, that's a good question. I'm just trying to think. I just think, like, the practice times in general. Like, we literally were getting off the field at 12.15 in the morning, and literally – like a Monday night football game is going on at like 8.30 and like college guys are putting their feet up and kind of hanging out for the rest of the night. It's like, well, at halftime, I got to leave. I got to go to practice. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that like being in Minnesota in club all, also was like a, a different experience because like you're having to worry about domes and snow. And I think I, I got a story now that I, <laughs> uh, it's come to my mind is we had a game versus NDSU uh, scheduled for Saturday night and it snowed like a bunch on like Friday. So like, I think our coaches Saturday morning were like, game's canceled, we're gonna move it to Sunday. So we're like, okay. So we go along with our day, you know, it's Saturday, you're in college and uh, you know, you're, you're kind of just hanging out. And then all of a sudden at like four o'clock, our coach texts us like all, and he's like, change of plans, we're playing tonight at nine o'clock in the Metrodome, which at the time that's where the Vikings played. And it was like, uh, okay, so you know, we, kind of all get ready like we show up and we played the first ever collegiate lacrosse game in the metrodome where the vikings had played and that was like one of those where it's like we went from not having a game to like we're playing in probably the coolest venue that you could play in in minnesota at the time yeah that's so. amazing i i feel like most of our guys wouldn't even believe that story so yeah. um I, I do think that the mcla stories you could write a book at every club program about who has experience before we get into the coaching and, and your experience there i do want to just 
go back to the championships. I mean, I know as our coaching staff, we all bust chops a lot on who has the most championship rings, and, and we have a few Lynchburg guys who just so happen to be bare-knuckled bare with their rings. So uh, you win two as a player, you win one as a coach. Who are those teams against? Uh, so two of them were against GVSU, and one of, them, uh, one of them was Westminster. So GVSU is still an MCLA team, and then Westminster is now a Division II school. So okay. you're seeing a lot more now. Like I look back in the teams that we played, like making the transition um, to like the NCAA, like Davenport, the team we lost to my freshman year is now a Division II school. So mm-hmm. I think it's just a matter of time, and as the sport expands, like you know that those programs, you know, eventually make the jump. St. Thomas All Star team versus a Lynchburg All Star team. Who wins? Ooh. I mean, we had some pretty good players, but I, I you know, I, I'll give it to Lynchburg. Those guys, you know, from what Coach P and Coach Cornelius, they're the hardest working guys, and I'll let you know it. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, well, I'll, I'll, I'll give the nod to them. But the St. Thomas guys out there, you, you know, we can <laughs> probably take it home. <laughs> that will cause a rift in the staff moving forward. Well, you, you get into coaching, you become the Jackie Moon of coaching. You're, 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 you're moonlighting as a JV coach, you're playing as a player, you get this opportunity to go to Wingate. You jump into a pretty competitive conference at Wingate. I mean, a conference that's you know, grown significantly over the past 10 years uh, with a coach who's had a lot of success at another institution. Walk us through that first coaching experience for you and what you took from that. Yeah, I, so to be honest with you, the biggest reason why I took the job at Wingate was like Coach Boyle's resume before he even got there. Um, I think at the time he was Division II Coach of the Year two times, maybe three, and it was like, I, while I was going through looking for jobs, I just someone had said, I can't remember who, was like, go somewhere you're going to learn and not have to know everything. Um, and it was like, okay, like, the guy knows what he's doing. He's won a national championship before. Like, I'm going to go there. And I remember taking the job. He's like, all right, you're going to coach goalies. And it's like, well, I've never coached goalies before. Um, and to be honest with you, I came in. I was working a desk job. I, I kind of gained a few LBs. I moved. <laughs> To, uh, to North Carolina, it's like 90 degrees out, and they're like, all right, you're gonna warm up five goalies a day, weighing about 220 pounds. And my first day on the job, I was like, I'm gonna drop dead on the field. Um, <laughs> so, you know, just a, a funny story, but like I literally had to like learn and teach myself like what it took to be a successful goalie. And I personally think like I've been spoiled with the talent that I've coached especially at each position. So my first year at Wingate, we, you know, had an All-American goalie. And it's like, yeah, like, that's great for my resume. But at the end of the day, like, I'm kind of just, like, critiquing him here and there. Like, you know, his, his talent brought him to where he was going. Um, but I was just very thankful um, to be able to, to coach him. And, you know, running the box, I'm not going to lie, that was like, I, we, I got there. Again, I was hired late. So I got there when we were the week before our fall scrimmages. And I remember, I don't know anyone's name. I've never ran the box before. Like, let's see what happens. And we were playing some team, I can't even remember. And face-off happens, two guys sub off at the same time. So I send one out there and I'm waiting. And I just remember Coach Boyle, like I barely know him at this point, just kind of like puts his arms in, like whispers behind me, that's a delayed substitution. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm getting fired. Um, So all in all, like, The thing about it at Wingate that first year, and again, I know I'm long-winded here, but uh, we had all gotten there relative to at the same time. Like, Coach Boyle and Coach Turner had been together, but, like, that was still our all-first year there. Um, And Coach Boyle and Coach Turner were up in the Northeast where Division II lacrosse, like, 
Lemoyne and Delphi and you know Dowling back in the day and New York Tech like those teams were good and so like I was coming from St. Thomas like we won every game like to be honest and it was like oh we'll be fine like we'll figure it out and I just remember they're like you don't understand and they're like you have to win like if you drop two of your three first games like a division two you don't make the tournament and I remember like we struggled a little early out of the gate. We, we maybe dropped. We actually lost to Coach Grinelli in, I think, my second game at Wingate. He was at Florida Southern. And, uh, you know, we're going through. We maybe lose two of the first three games, and then we just go on a run. Like, we play the fifth team in the country, and, again, they're stressed out. I'm like, no, we're going to be fine. And, you know, we, you know, end up winning the conference tournament the first time in school history, end up making the tournament. And then, like, we played Limestone in – that was 2017. So they were undefeated at the time. And I, again, was just so naive to, like, oh, we're going to beat Limestone. <laughs> and it was, like, first possession, you know, the ball's spinning, everyone's running 100 miles an hour, and you're like, oh, no, this team's, like, legit. Yeah. Um, so it was a storybook season for, like, all those guys because they had invested so much um, and finally got to kind of, you know, experience what they had always wanted to achieve. And I think Coach Boyle always said it, like, he was just there to kind of like put structure to some talent and put us in a position to win every game. And we were just in a, in a pretty good situation. I think that first year, and then it kind of carried out through those, those next couple seasons I was there. Mm -hmm. Awesome, man. And obviously you have a really successful four years that you win some big games. Now Wingate is really perennially a, a top 10 team in that, in that division and competing for conference championships consistently, which is a credit to your coaching staff and, and the culture that you guys created. Um, and then COVID hits and COVID hits. And then, you know, there's an opportunity down here, uh, a volunteer position for us that in the past we've had more of uh, the experience has been more guys that, you know, are passing through guys that maybe just finished school with us or guys that aren't really into coaching, but are dabbling with the idea. And that year we decided to make the shift to bring in somebody more specific to the program. I think we were starting to establish what we wanted this thing to become. So we, we put out a, a you know, an application and, and um, it was hard. You, you couldn't meet anybody in person. So everything was on the phone and via Zoom. And uh, I, I can share this story. What, what separated you from the pack, Nick, was your professionalism. Your professionalism is your resume, the phone interview, uh, the goalie presentation, which uh, ironically, because I play goalie, I don't think of it in a, in a very, I guess, uh, analytic or schematic way. So I was really impressed with the presentation of goaltending and how you coach and how you break down the angles. And um, I walked away without even getting on the phone with anybody after just getting all of that material saying, this is a guy that I think would fit where we want to head professionally. And uh, we got on the phone, you had a chance to come down with your girlfriend at the time and visit. And that was really kind of after the fact, it was kind of, we were already moving forward. And, yeah. um, and then ultimately you, you join the staff and you take over the man up team. You take over the face-off unit, which finished at 58% in the country last year. Um, you know, you, you make a significant impact. You, you end up running the box. Now year two comes around. Year two, you're, you're a little bit more established. You know the guys. You're more comfortable. Tell us about your experience here so far. Yeah, I think the, the unique challenge last year, right, and I think any time that you come into a new program, like there are some growing pains, but like especially in COVID where – we couldn't have a lot of team dinners or like we didn't have a ton of team meetings. So like you're, and you know, there's only a certain number of guys supposed to be in the facility. Like for me, it was just like, you know, I try to basically like build relationships with my players. Like I'm, you know, not much older than the guys, right? So if I don't have a connection with guys and start barking out orders, like they're probably not gonna take it very seriously. Um, you know, so my whole thing was like, I want to try to like get to know guys and like 
do that and I was kind of you know you know at a disadvantage because I wasn't able to do that um, I think you know as much as you normally would in a normal season um, so it just kind of took a little while right so you ideally want to start building on those in the fall and then when you travel and do all that stuff but like I, I think it was like a couple games in until I felt like okay like I have a good pulse of everything now um, and then obviously you know coming into year two it's like you know everyone's names right like you're not like introducing yourself for the first time like the guys kind of know how you operate you know what makes the guys kind of tick um so I, I think just like that learning and transition you know learning a new city and a new school and you're up a level so you have all these expectations of like what you should be able to do versus what the actuality is um you know it, it's just a lot of like just kind of getting your feet wet and just getting comfortable day by day um, I think that was probably the biggest challenge was obviously like just coming in in a COVID year. Yeah, and, and you're working specifically with the face-off guys on a day-to-day. Obviously, man up. We start to in, you know start to implement here as the fall goes on. But you know, what is that group like? I know you have a name for that group. I mean, tell me about you know, those two guys in your corner right now and and how that group operates with you. Yeah, I uh, again, I've been very spoiled in my coaching career to have like just some really great kids. Um, you know, shout out to last year if Alex Giovinco is mm-hmm. listening to this, uh, we miss you. Um, but yeah, Nathan Cap and Colin Baez right now. Uh, so obviously the school uh, has Rock Beach printed out on the uh, on the turf. So last year, just in passing, you know, everyone refers to the field as the beach, and it's like, you know, when when I picture a beach, it's like, oh, you're on the beach, you're having a daiquiri, you're having a you know good old time. It's like, well, no, when we're on the beach, like we're here to work. So I just uh, just call it Normandy. Like, hey, we're going to Normandy and we're going to work on the beach. Um, so that's just kind of like a fun little thing that I say with the guys. But, uh, yeah, those, they've, they've been awesome. Nathan Cap, a fellow Midwesterner, um, you know, he was a Wisconsin guy, so me and him like to, to give each other a little crap uh, about the rivalry there between Minnesota and Wisconsin. And then, you know, Collins come in and, and done a great job and, you know, worked his butt off, you know. So I, I'm just very, very thankful uh, to be able to work with those guys every day. And, you know, I think uh, if they continue on the on the – you know, progression that they're going, we, we could have a pretty good year there, hopefully. Yeah, and, and you, you kind of brought up the, the topic I want to end with, which is your passion as a Minnesota fan. I mean, you're a diehard Vikings fan. You must be the only person that watches T-Wolves basketball games right now. It's game one tonight. <laughs> game one tonight. Tell us about your passion for Minnesota, Minnesota sports, your vulgar Twitter I, life after, after bad, bad losses. We want to hear it all. I, I, I try to – so now that I'm like – again, like I know like recruits – you know, maybe follow me. I try to like not be as dark as maybe I was in college, but uh, yeah, it's just, and I had this conversation with a friend actually the other day. It's like, I wonder how different my mindset was, would be if I was like a Boston sports fan, you know, because like everything's gone so right for them. And like for myself, it's like, oh, we're driving down to, I'll end it with a story. This is my sports fandom in a nutshell. Uh, 2009 NFC Championship game. We're in my basement. All my buddies are down there. We're watching the game. It's been a you know back and forth game. Brett Favre's driving down the field. You know, two minutes left. I think we're in, like almost in field goal range. Rolls out to his right, throws across his body. But before that even happens, I have to pause myself. My dad comes down as we're driving down the field, and we're like, oh my god, we're gonna do it. My dad comes down. He's like, guys, they're not gonna win. And we're like, oh, shut up, dad. Like go upstairs, whatever. And, uh, you know, game continues. Maybe a handful of plays later is when Brett Favre throws the interception. You know, we force, they force overtime, and we end up losing. 
um, in the NFC Championship game. I remember like all my buddies were deflated because it's the first time that the Vikings had kind of been relevant, like since we were maybe you know in our you know five or six. And uh, I walk upstairs and my dad's just sitting there with a grin on his face. I'm like, Dad, how'd you know? He goes, Son, I've been a Vikings fan for 40 years. And I just remember being like, this is going to be a long life. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, you're just like the lovable loser, I think. It's, it's, uh, you never get your hopes too high, but, uh, you know, maybe one year they'll, uh, they'll be able to crack it. Hopefully we see a, a Bills-Vikings Super Bowl here, you yeah. know, one day. A battle of the lovable losers. Yeah. Well, the T-Wolves are figuring it out. It's game one. We're undefeated. Yeah. You never know. Hey, we got the Minnesota Wild. They're 3-0 right now, so <laughs> we're, we're good to go. Well, Nick, from your passion for the, the, the Minnesota sports teams to your professionalism that led you here to obviously everything you've done for our program, uh, you're selfless. You, you've made this place a better place. So I'm thankful to have you, and uh, I appreciate you taking the time to spend some with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been a blast. <laughs>